Welcome to the Legally Bliss podcast. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, dress at the office, balance our families with work, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys and how they've proactively chosen to do career and life differently. The ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms and not what society or big law has prescribed for them. We'll learn from these women how to deeply question the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated to inspire you. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Well, hey there, and welcome everyone to Legally Bliss Conversations and a warm welcome today to my guest, Michelle Thompson. My name is Susie Hickson, and I'm a trademark attorney and the founder of the Legally Bliss community. After having practiced for about 20 years in both big law and having my own law practice, I've worked with a lot of lawyers and have many women lawyer friends. And I've learned that while women lawyers are incredible advocates for others, they seem to not always be great self-advocates. Hence, Legally Blissed was developed to give women lawyers a platform to network, collaborate, and support each other, all while learning and integrating the Bliss method to become more fierce and powerful um, advocates, not just for others, but for themselves and each other. So Bliss is an acronym for boundary setting, leveraging legal tech and AI, integrating creativity, self-confidence, and seeking support and community, which is exactly what Legally Blissed does. Today, I am thrilled again to welcome Michelle Thompson to discuss her unique journey as a woman lawyer. Michelle helps women lawyers who struggle with exhaustion and imposter syndrome to build sustainable careers. Welcome again, Michelle. I'm so happy to have you with me today. So let's dig into your story a little bit. I want to learn about your journey. So why did you go to law school? What what on earth convinced (laughs) you that that was going to be a good idea? (laughs) I went to law school because I was determined. All right. Number one, I'm going to start with, I feel like I, there was as a young, as a young adult, I always felt like I was born in the wrong decade. I was like, Mm. I should have been at Woodstock. I should have been marching in the civil rights, but like, like that, that's where my heart was. Right. But here I am, Gen X. So now what? What did you say? What is happening? Exactly. I'm like, all right, right, fine, whatever. (laughs) Be who you are now. Okay. So, um, and at the time, when I went through law school, I was determined to do social justice work, right? I mean, with that ringing in my ears, I really, which is actually interesting because my parents aren't from the United States. They were immigrants from Jamaica and they got here in 1967, like December 1967. I was in utero when King was killed. Um, I was in utero during the Democratic National Convention. I mean, maybe that's probably why that 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 like all of that really resonates for me. You maybe you pick up the energy from it, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So um at 12, I decided I was the first initial, the initial spark was okay, I'm gonna move to New York, I'm gonna practice law, I'm gonna do international taxation or something so I can travel all over the world, 
and I'm going to sing opera at the same time. I love it. Sounds that's that's a life. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> that was so cute, Michelle. So <laughs> I know the little things you wanted to do. That is so well. adorable. You had no idea what the industry was like. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think I went through a period where I was like, I want to be a nun or something, you know. So like, right. what, you didn't know what the industry was. You, like. <laughs> did not know the industry. Let's put it that way. Exactly. <laughs> So, but as I got, I went to college and that's when I was like, okay, I want to do something civil rights related, mm -hmm. except that, you know, that's like mid eight, early to mid eighties. And okay. it just didn't look, it just wasn't, it wasn't that 1960s thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, and so I actually, so I, that's doing public interest work was actually the pull for me to go to law school. Mm. I, um, I started with an internship with the legal clinic for the disabled in Chicago. And then, um, cause that's where I grew up in Chicago. Okay. So that was easy to do. And then the second year I was pulled, I was intrigued by Whitman Walker clinic, which was the clinic that did legal services for people with AIDS in Washington, DC. I was like, that's intriguing. Mm -hmm. Um, and the summer that I was with the legal clinic for the disabled, the, um, the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act, Disabilities Act was just passed. And I remember, so I actually remember being at the dinner table, listening to the news with my parents. My mom was very enthusiastic about us watching the news at dinner time and discussing it. Uh -huh. I remember the stories about herpes, the herpes um, epidemic that was happening and, and her commentary on it. And I remember the news turning on a dime talking about there were gay men in San Francisco who had this weird form of cancer that they didn't understand. I actually, I really remember this. This is like vivid in my mind. And I remember ACT UP protesting in the streets in Chicago. And I remembered what the, the pastor at my evangelical church had to say about all of this. And it was nothing good. And I'm sitting here like, I don't understand where you're coming from about this. Like these people are suffering. They're dying. What were you talking about? <laughs> right? So I was like, I was so Whitman Walker was actually really intriguing to me. I'm like, I wanna work there for the summer. I wanna to go to DC, I wanna work there, let's do the things. So I, w I went to work there and I actually fell in love with the work. I was like, here, here I am, this is, this is the civil rights work I wanna take on. Mm -hmm. um, and I, as a result, I won a fellowship, um, it was, it's now Equal Justice Work, it was um, National Association for Public Interest Law, but they funded me for two years to work at the Whitman Walker Clinic helping people with AIDS get entitlements. I did some discrimination work. I helped I helped a couple of clients get an HIV waiver um, because you were barred from coming in the United States if you were HIV positive. Mm -hmm. um, if COVID sounds familiar, it is. There's a whole foundation on which our policies for that are based, right? right. Um, and that was that, that that was a that was amazing work to me. I got frustrated because we were with a 501c3 and we could and that was when Newt Gingrich came in with the contract on America, as Julianne Melbo talked about it. Mm -hmm. And um I was frustrated because I like we couldn't do the political work saying, what are you doing? You guys crazy? You can't do this. So like, <laughs> like what are you doing? Mm -hmm. I that was frustrating to me. Um, but this is this is work type. This is the work I loved. So that's what that's those are my two answers for what brought me into law. So that's awesome. Were you um so did you do that work when you were in law school or right out of law school? I did it um for an internship for one year and then that was the, my first full-time job out of law school. 
Okay, that's really cool. So you kind of segued that internship on into like your first act right out of law school. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So what was that like, that first year out of law school for you? Or two years? Well, okay, three months in, I, I, like a couple months in, I learned I didn't pass the bar. So a chunk of it was taken up with take, sitting for the bar again. That was exciting. Not, oh, that's um, fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> the drag. Um, on the other hand, um, I, I, you know, there's a client, the first client I worked on public benefits for, I won his benefits on appeal and he died. Rewarding, right? Like that had to kind of been a good, a great self-confidence boost for you. Probably. It was, it's like that he hard. died a couple days before the award letter oh, went out. Yeah. So I had to go to a spouse who worked, not spouse, sorry, before gay marriage, I yeah. confusing time, but you know, with his partner, I had to go to the bookstore where he worked and say, I am so sorry. And he won, <laughs> you know, like it was like the most bizarre, it was the most bizarre um, confluence of events that had ever happened. But, you know, I just, I loved, I loved my work, right? Like people didn't complain about the work I did in that capacity, right? People actually for once had health insurance, they desperately needed health insurance and they desperately needed income, right? And they got that, like the work I did, it was very practical. People were getting the things they needed. Yes. Um, the, I, there was a West African, he was from the Ivory Coast and I helped him with the HIV waiver to get into the United States. He showed up at the clinic telling me he won, that he got it, like like I got to meet him in person. And, and it was just like, oh, <laughs> like, well, I've done my work here today. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> right? No, but it was very, very satisfying. It was very, it was gratifying. It was like, this, this is what you want your work to be. You want to know that you've made this huge difference for people and I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Is it one person at a time? Is it slow? Yes. But change is happening. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, not all lawyers get to experience that, right? Like mm -hmm. they don't get to experience that fulfilling aspect of their practice you, sometimes you know we're just not appreciated we don't get the thank you note and when we do it's like <laughs> puts us over the moon for the next month exactly. You, know? exactly you like put it on the wall you like look at it every day to... exactly exactly and it's, it's unfortunate that we don't get to really appreciate the fruits of our labors in that way yeah. like it's, it's there's nothing like it yeah but in your instance you got to see some real immediate impact from your yes. work absolutely that's pretty special Absolutely. Absolutely. So how long did you um, stay there? What was that like? The fellowship was two years. And okay. so that was it. While I was working at Women Walker Clinic, we organized into a labor union. Okay. So um, the fellowship ended and the labor union hired me to work for them. Okay. So this is a transition. This is a huge, this is a big transition. Yes. <laughs> big transition. I can tell, I can already tell like this, like, isn't that interesting how we kind of go into a thing that is so fulfilling and then some type of levers are pulled that are kind of beyond our control. And then all of a sudden we're thrown into something that we didn't necessarily expect. And not that I had, I, you know, if someone told me you're going to be working at, someone told me at 16, you're going to be working at a labor union. I've been like, I mean, I'm here. I'm all here. I'm all here for it. But me, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have seen that. Right. Yeah. And here I was. At a labor so, union. So there you are in labor union. Now, did you go back to Chicago or were you still in No, this, so this was, I stayed in DC, the okay. DC Baltimore area. The the, okay. the labor union was located in Baltimore, still is. 
um, it, it was, it's a local of service employees, international union. It's a healthcare workers union. Um, the, the main one in Baltimore and they have a number of members in DC. So it was still geographically in the same area of the country. Yeah. Yeah. How was that experience? Let's get real. Oh, again, it was, so again, it was really fulfilling. It, it was, was like, I got to, I organized, I did a, a little bit of organizing and I organized a couple of shops for the local. Um, okay. And I also negotiated collective bargaining agreements, right? And to, and so when workers find you, you're like, a pay raise, right? Like, again, very, very pragmatic things. I We have a pay raise. Yeah. And if you're earning $10 an hour, that's real. <laughs> That's very, yeah. very real. On the one side, on the other side, um, and I think we often, you know, I often talk about in my marketing people who are working 70 to 90 hours a week. I don't pull that, I don't pull that number out of the hat. That was my life. And this was like, this is a very different version of practicing law for me. Now I love the labor movement, but these are people who work very hard and they play very hard. Right. And I was, I was part of that. Right. I would put in my 70 to 90 hour weeks yeah. and I was drinking my coffee in the morning to, it's not because, I, I mean, I like coffee, but like caffeine is not good for me, right? So if I'm drinking coffee in the mornings to get up and drive somewhere, you know, it's not a good thing. That's a bad look for me, <laughs> right? Um, how was I managing social anxiety? I was smoking. Everyone else in my office was smoking. All right. I was, sure. ask, I was like, I was going to ask, I was going to say, I know you're doing something else throughout the day, right? right exactly. Yeah. So what is exactly. that? What are you using to, to bring you down at night? And then, you know, so then I, I do the whole thing and then I get home. Yeah. It's like, I need a glass of wine or two yeah. or three. <laughs> right? And actually, and that's a habit, that habit started in law school. I remember being so wound. This is first year, my first year of law school. I was so wound up by the end of the day that I'm like, I can't go to sleep. I had a big old jug of Gallo in my fridge. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, that was like a big old jug, right? And I pour myself a glass of wine, then I could actually go to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. That that's a habit that I picked up again when I was working for the for the labor union because I was so wired by the end of the day that I was like, there I was, cigarette and a glass of wine, <laughs> and I could and I could go and I, yeah, I could go back to and I could go to sleep. And this yeah. this whole cycle, Monday through Thursday, would start again. So how long do you do that? I mean, I that career transition and. and <laughs> and the stimulants and this is the depressants. I mean, it's not yeah. unusual. I'm not, no judgment here. Trust me. Yeah, no, I know. I know. This is, this is the thing. This is what happens to us. Yeah. Though, right. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I was with the, I was with the, with the union for five years, but that cycle was about three mm -hmm. years. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty solid though. Five years yeah. at that union. So, or at the union. I mean, and again, I love the work. I yeah. love the work. I love delivering results for, for workers. I love that. You know, and what's cool about, I'm curious, how much of what you learned in law school was actually applicable to your daily work at the union? <laughs> I think the answer I'm coming up with is zero. Um, so, but, uh, <laughs> but I want to walk that back a little bit. Um, I, there was a grievance that a, that a worker had. And generally I tried to move grievances off to the shop steward. Right. Because that was their job. That was it. like your shop steward. That's your job to handle these because I, I didn't have the time. I'm busy prepping for the table. Right. But there was one that was about religious discrimination. And I actually remember going to I think it was University of Baltimore, their law school. I went to the library. I pulled like I was doing legal research. I was like, oh, look at this. In a library. <laughs> oh, and I, I'm like, wow, this is I, I've heard of this. Oh, right. I did this once upon yeah. a time. Um, so, like first year of law school, right? When when I remember like being taught to 
I don't even know if like the law library is even in existence anymore. I mean, I guess it is. (laughs) Right, exactly. So here I am in the law library, right? And but I'm I'm researching what is going to be my argument for this. I took I took this because I'm like this is a legal argument, right? And and this is what this is what we're going to have to move through. And I remember doing that prep. I think that worker kept their job because they were they were not being right, right? Mm -hmm. And there was. there was a whole thing with the bargaining units on the public. It was for the D- Washington DC, the health, public health care workers and how they were categorized. And there was one group that wasn't in the right local or they weren't together. I went in, I did my research. I got back in the library, typed up the brief. I, the, um, there was another lawyer who worked with the lawyer in his own firm. I gave it to him. I'm like, I need your feedback with this. He's like, flip the order and this is good. Re- reorganize it. You know, I was up against lawyers with Arnold and Porter, and they were like, "That was good." <laughs> they were like, they were, "They were like, you have quite an argument there." I'm like, "Why? Thank you." You're like, "Well, I use the law library. What about you and your fancy firm?" Exactly. I researched that myself. <laughs> I wrote it myself. <laughs> Thank you very much. Exactly. I love it. And, and that argument carried the day, right? So. Yeah. I can't say that it was never applicable. I, I I can't say that. But what you don't learn is like the into the navigating people, the navigating personalities, the politics of the work. I mean, I don't know how you would teach that in law school, but like the whole politics of what you do, um, they don't teach you about. You know, and clearly we don't teach people about how to love up yourself while you're doing this work. Mm-hmm. That's clearly not. No, we're drinking wine and smoking cigarettes and guzzling exactly. coffee. I mean, as ironically, I started at the lawyer at the at the at the union by training for marathons and doing AIDS ride. That was the first two years of my work at the union, and then I then the hours wouldn't allow me to do that. I had a day where I biked to Baltimore um, from DC, right? Like I took I took my health and welfare very very seriously, and then when the bargaining became too much, all of that went by the wayside. Yeah. You prioritized the job over taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do you think you did that? This is where I think it's different for public and private sector. Um, and, and I shouldn't say public, but for the not for, not-for-profit sectors, mm-hmm. when you are, you're doing God's work, right? I, I mean, I think, I, you know, are they doing God? I don't know, that, that's debatable. But like, you feel like you're doing work that impacts people's lives in a particular way. And you need to do your part. And if that means you do what you do what you need to do to make sure that workers are okay. It had a higher purpose for it you. It definitely had a higher purpose for me. And I and you know, for many people who are do to done public interest work, that higher purpose is everything. It's everything. It is I mean my sister for, actually now she works for the ACLU, although her hours are nowhere near what they mine were, but like, but this is this is God's work for her. She gets really pissed off because you know she can't make the movement to shift how racism gets talked about with punishment in the criminal justice system, right? Like you'd listen to her talk about it, like this is God's work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that gets you doing what you need to do. And in my case, it got me to abuse myself in doing that. Right. You kind of sacrificed yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when was kind of like the turning point when you were like, okay, I <laughs> something's gotta give. I'm not right. <laughs> I'm not training for marathons anymore, right? I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm, which are, you know, those don't really work so great together. I'm drinking wine. I'm breaking out the gallo. Every- <laughs> I, by then I had met my spouse and I was on, moved on to really high quality wine. Like, <laughs> wine. 
Zinfandels. And they were really good. I will admit, I don't drink anymore, but like that, my love for Zinfandels, I still love Zinfandels. Yeah. I don't them, right. I'm like, that stuff's good. It's good. Yeah. But anyhow. <laughs> so we, we upgraded when you were, right. when you're working to like a more, you know, like a better wine, but you're still drinking it absolutely. right yeah, every night. And it was obviously like a way for you were buffering, you were, um, you used it to kind of help you wind down from the day because you're right. probably just like, eh. um, yeah. So when did you, when did it kind of finally hit you that you were maybe um, going to hit a wall? So I actually, did I mean, hit a wall? <laughs> well, no, I thank God I didn't, it wasn't like this, yeah. but um, I, I mean, it was kind of ironic. So my college friends, when they knew me, they're like, I'm never going to get married. I'm never having a child. End of the discussion, moving on next. Um, but here I am in my late twenties, early, early twenties. And I'm like, wow, it'd be kind of cool. I, I, I come out as lesbian for a, a, some years at that point. I'm like, maybe I could do this motherhood thing. That's interesting. Yeah. And I started to think about like, okay. And I was starting to talk about, talk to some of my non-drinking and smoking <laughs> colleagues. Um, I was like, I, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have a mother, to be, become a mother. And I'm, but I'm sitting here like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like, does junior come with me to the bargaining table? Like I don't earn enough. So here's the thing. I never got the math formula quite right. I was working 70, 90 hours a week for $40,000 a year. Um, and yeah. I'm sitting here like, how am I going to, I don't have money for childcare. So junior's going to have to be with me until they're in kindergarten. Yeah. And, and I often thought, well, the only thing I'm getting closer to is a heart attack. I thought it was literally, the, those are literally the words wow. that I had in my head. Like I'm not, moving towards a child and moving towards a heart attack. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I could see, I could see it. I'm like, this is not, it's not a child life you want to have. Um, and as I kept, and then and like in that period I met, you know, I was with my, the person who became my spouse and she suggested, well, you could go ahead and earn a doctorate. I was like, what? <laughs> if you remember that show of different strokes, what you talking about Willis? <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, um, that was on my list of things to do. I have a JD. Do I need more degrees? Yeah, why not? Um, no, why not? Learning is fun, right? Exactly. And it's good to have a partner who like stimulates you to think of greater things for yourself. Exactly, exactly. And I was like, well, that's intriguing. So um, I applied to and I applied to NYU. She she had was a point. She had gotten a she had got a position at New York University in a different school. So I applied to arts and sciences. And I got I got into their master's program, and I did that for two years, and then I um and then I pivot, and then I started the PhD, and um, that was the pivot that broke that particular cycle for me. It didn't, and like and, I mean, I don't drink now, and I'm not, and, and it's not like oh, and I stopped drinking and ran up in the sunset and rainbows and unicorns. No, I'm not saying that. Um, I, but the cycle of like caffeine. So nicotine and alcohol was definitely didn't have the hold over me that it once had. And actually, you know, it's like I, I was in the program and I was, I don't know, I was quite a bit older than my peers. Yeah. And they were like, this is so hard. I'm like, I feel like I'm on sabbatical. What are you talking about? Like, they're like, I get to read and write all day long. This is, this is boss. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> That, that's actually really funny, right? Because you, I mean, I look back like when I was in law school and this is a little bit different, but when I was in law school, there were some non-traditional students who were older and I just felt like they had their shit together, 
right? You I do, just, because you're like, okay, there's, look, girl, the stories <laughs> I can tell, right? I mean, like, yeah. really, like, war stories. And it's like, oh, wait, you want me to read and write all day long? I gotcha. You're like, this is nothing compared to, like, what I have seen out on the, the battlefield. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We're battle-tested. Right? That's exactly it. We're battle-tested by the time. You're battle-tested. You've been battle-tested for seven years at that point, or five, yeah. maybe? Exactly. Right. Seven years. Seven years. And so like that was that was the piv that was the pivot. And by the time I started the PhD program, I was pregnant. Okay. So how did that work out? Like going through your PhD program being pregnant? Um, well, I started it that way. And then he so I, I will say that it did nothing for my comps. <laughs> I flunked my comps the first time. And I'm honest about this stuff because I think we do think like, oh, brilliant, PhD. It's like, look, that was work. Um, that, that was that was battle tested in a very different way, right? Um, people were like, "Are you scared about becoming a mother?" I'm like, no, I'm scared about these damn comps. Like that was <laughs> that was where I lived, right? I need to pass my comps, um, and I didn't pass them the first time. Um, and but for me, in part because of this peer counseling organization I've been part of for many years at that point, twenty some years, um, the parenting part was easy. Like I got to hang out with my son as much as possible. I did need some like when I when the school year started to ramp up again, I needed someone to be with him so I could do some of the work. But um, yeah, no, no, that was that was that was hard I had to take my comps. And that I was, I mean, I learned my life and I came back in a very dirty way. That's the thing. I'm like, okay, work. How do I How change, change it? So I don't have, have this problem. Problem. And, and I did that. that. I don't know why I'm going to. So, how old was your little boy at that point? He, my son has never known me before I was working on a doctorate. So, he, I gave birth to him. I had finished year one of the PhD. Yeah, he went. He was with me in the field when I went to Jamaica to do my field work. He went with, you know, he's seen me in the archive doing my archival work. He's seen me writing the dissertation. Like he's been, like he, it, it be it in utero or in real life, he's been with me through the entire PhD journey. So now he he's turning nineteen this year. Wow, that's gonna be cool though. Like he has to like really look up to you, and it's interesting though because he's never seen you as lawyer mom. And that was a good thing. <laughs> that was a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. I talked to a lot of law moms and it's great. It's great out there. He should, he should send me a thank you note for yeah. that. <laughs> he should. What's his name? James. James. Okay, did you get that, James? So you're right. in this video. <laughs> and actually, the irony is that I was talking to him a couple a few weeks ago. He's he's out at NYU. Oh, keep it all in the family. That's, and that's um, cool. yeah. and um, he is really interested in international relations. And there are okay. two paths for international relations. Awesome. <laughs> that you can either go to law school, exactly, or you could get a PhD. And I'm like, well, I got you covered either way. <laughs> right? You're like, I can, I I can kind of guide you along the way, whichever you, one you choose. You're going you're gonna to excel one way or another, right? Yeah. So, um, but... Um, <laughs> Oh, but he doesn't want to do the PhD because it's all for, for international relations. It's all calculus. Like they do math models to figure out how we like states are going to behave. I'm like, well, I'm not going to critique your field right now, but that's a mess. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I understand why you're moving more towards law school. 
So, so if he goes to law school, you're going to be like, you're going to cheer him on. I'm sure you're not going to be like, oh, don't do that. Right. Like, here's the thing with law school. I'm the first, I am, uh, in the United States, I am the first person in my family to have gone. I, mm, I, I went through the hard way, right? Because I had, I had to learn. I just, I just had to learn it, right? You didn't know, you didn't know any other way. I mean, it was kind of my, say for me, I was the first person in my family to go to law school and to work in a big corporate environment. Exactly. So it was like, I was kind of thrown to the wolves. I didn't really have anybody to go talk to about. Exactly. My motto was C equals JD for real. Like I, like that was my motto. Like just, I just need to graduate. I didn't need, I didn't more than that. See, oh yeah, for sure. But my sister, so this is when I was living in DC and I was being a lawyer. She went to law school. Your sister and, at ACLU now? Yes, exactly. Okay. And she came, to, it was like, it was Thanksgiving and she was panicked about finals. Oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do with the finals. And I just looked at her because I, you know, at that point, law school and the bar, I got, I got you, babe. Yeah. So yeah. I said, take out, go take notes, contracts, offer, acceptance, consideration, others, any other things that might nullify the contract. You're good. That's how you're going to analyze it. I just handed, I just handed her the outline, yeah. the outline that I never wrote. Okay. <laughs> Torts. Da 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 Boom. Crim. Intent. Blah 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 blah. I literally like fired like again because the the bar wasn't that far away. I fired the stuff off. My sister earned straight A's in law school. Straight A's, right? And I didn't tell her anything deep. I didn't go with any case law. I didn't do a whole. I gave her structure for how to approach it. That interesting is what my son would get. Right, like that's what he's gonna get. Be like, I got you, boo. Right. And you can, you can teach him about the support. You can say, this is superfluous. Like you don't need to worry about this stuff. Like this, exactly. you know, these are the top five things you need to know. Like, I mean, I don't know if he's, I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's going to pass the bar. Right. <laughs> now, does he want to go work in big law or whatever? Like he's going to have that, to that part. He'll have to sort out. But I like, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, I'm not going to tell him law school is going to be fun and full of flowers and rainbows and unicorns. I wish it was. It's not, that's not what we do right. in this country. But me, PhD, right? Like, yeah, none of it is. Right, exactly. <laughs> and at the same time, I can tell, I can either way, I'd be like, this is how you're going to handle this. And if you follow my advice, you're good. You're, you're golden. Good. You're golden. Yeah. You're, it's going to, you're, you're going to write your ticket and you're going to be, you're, it's going to be brilliant and you're going to move on. It's going to be fine. That's exciting. I actually had the same conversation with my sister when she didn't pass the bar the first time. I said, okay, here we go. This is what you're going to do. <laughs> You're going to stop paying attention to the essays and you're going to work the question. You're going to work the multiple choice questions. That's where you have room to improve. She worked. She didn't tell me she did this. My mom told me. My mom told me she was upset because she ran out of multiple choice questions. I'm like, yes, she's going to yeah. ask. <laughs> multiple choice questions at that point, right? Exactly. And she, and she passed it. She blew it out of the water. I'm like, yeah. I'll take care of that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but like, but that's, I, I say all of that because I think people to succeed in law to succeed in academia it is everything to have people who have gone through that path before right there's a reason why it was very unusual to see women in either of these fields in either of these industries there's a reason right there's a reason why black people don't show up in the numbers that we could in these fields because we don't have people who've done it before and we don't have there's no roadmap for us to do it so we sit there banging our heads against the wall going I don't know what you want me to write in this essay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's like you are going you're you're going along the path, but you're more blind because you don't because sometimes you're like you'll bump in direct in directions that don't work, right? Exactly. But if you're if you're you know if you have a family of of lawyers already, then that's so helpful because they can show you that they can show you what the most important parts are, right? It's, exactly. So you, sit, first, you, you literally over dinner, you sit there and go, boom. Yeah. Here, go yeah. take your exam. Yeah. But like first year, you know, people that go to college and then the first, you know, generation of people that go into a grad school, like it's, I think it's just so it's much a harder. mystery. It's a complete mystery. And like what, if, if, if James decides he's going to work on a doctor, it'll be like, so here's how you're going to handle the academic part. There's a political part of this that you actually have to handle. And that's a conversation no one had with me. Yeah. You know, having the conversation about the political part, I think is important because it helps you to be aware of it. But at the same time, I don't know if it can really be trained. Because, it can't be trained. I just have to tell you that this is the thing. Right. Like I didn't know what I didn't know when I went into a, the law firm environment. Like I didn't know really bad behavior. What Like I was like, is this normal? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you don't even you don't know what you don't know. Right, so it's exactly. that much harder to navigate it. Exactly. But, but like, I feel like when you're trying to navigate politics in the law firm or any kind of environment, it's so hard to teach that because every individual is so different. They have different values. And then you're like having to navigate all of these different people and they're different. It's like, it's like palace intrigue. Right, like, <laughs> exactly like that. yes, it I, is. I, I love reading about like King Henry the um, the eighth, I guess, and his yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's the one who killed the wives, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, there's so much palace intrigue, and I'm like, man, I'm, I get into the, the dramatic part of it, um, like in the navigating all that, and I'm like, I mean, it's no different than it, it is so, it's like, who's got the knife? Wait, <laughs> are you are you the one, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of how it was. So, okay. So you got your PhD at this point, you have a little boy. What did you do next? What happened? So when I graduated, he was eight actually. Okay. Okay. Um, and still so your little boy, but he's, not still, he's definitely my little boy, but he's yeah, definitely but not nursing not. anymore. Right. And that, <laughs> <laughs> that child would, that child left the, the station. Yeah, um, yeah. I started to, adjunct because all right so i graduated in 2012 after the 2008 meltdown the economic meltdown in the united okay. states and before 2008 so my primary field is african diaspora my secondary field is colonial latin american caribbean history there were lots of positions in the african diaspora prior to 2008 yeah after 2008 those all kind of disappeared and so i could adjunct different kinds of courses, but they weren't, you know, but the positions that were being created were not in my field. Okay. So I started adjuncting and here we go with my fabulous formula of like working, like I was commuting two to four hours a day, depending on where, like what the institutions was. I was working at three different schools, it's a lot. Uh, teaching at three different schools, grading at three different schools. Um, and grading is no fun. I like, I do not miss grading. I will never yeah. miss grading ever again. Um, and this is back before people were doing online education, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. exactly. Like so, like I, so people would hand me their papers. Oh God, I hate it. Anyhow. Um, and I wasn't able to pay my bills. <laughs> like I just, I literally couldn't pay my bills. And I got really, I got really, really depressed. Like to the point where I was thinking about ending my life. I'm like, I, this, I can't 
forget it, done. How is someone so overly educated and unable to pay her bills? This is madness. Um, thank God for James. I looked at him like, that's a bad look. I can't do that. I cannot do that for him. Like, that's literally what I thought. Like, I can't, that's, he, him and this peer counseling organization, like they, these two things together kept my head above water, right? But I'm like, I cannot do that to him. Cause I knew that like, if you, if you plant that, if I plant that seed in his head, it's never going to go away. Right. Um, and so I actually was like, okay, what do you love to do in the world? Like, I mean, you like this, this is fine, but what do you love to do? And I'm like, oh, I love journalism. Mm -hmm. Let me see what I could do. Journalism was in the same free fall as academia. And, um, and so I actually, I actually did an internship at Latino USA, which is one of the NPR shows, which I loved. And everyone's like, you should get a master's in journalism. And I'm like, have you seen the, read the alphabet, the alphabet soup of what? Have you seen after the name Thompson? No. Like, can we put any more letters back there? There will be no more letters. We are done. We are done. Thank you. I'm not stepping back in the classroom. Although if someone offered me money to get an MFA in vocal performance, I'd be on it. But that's a different yeah. issue. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very different thing. I, like, I could perform for two years. I'm here for that. Okay. That, that's yeah. Okay. Well, we're not going to write that off and never right. say that. Never. I'm never going to say it, but like, but it would have to be something radically different like that, right? Sure, sure. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to, we, we're done. The journalism thing, that's been real. That's been fun. Thank you. Moving on. Um, and I had, you know, because this peer counseling organization had like really just like, it, it really, it, it, I, I had changed people's lives. It had changed my life. I'm like, wouldn't it be nice to not volunteer and do this work? <laughs> wouldn't it be nice to get paid to do this work? Wow. What, and, that's pretty radical of you. I mean. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm literally like, what are the skills I have? This is a skill set. This is a skill set. Pay me. Yeah. Um, and it's not a diss on that organization. It's, it is what it is, right? And it's it's yeah. given me an amazing foundation. I'm like, okay, how do I translate this into something? You got to get paid. I mean, we have to get paid for our time. We have to get paid at the bottom at the bottom line, right? Yeah. So, I not 24 hours after I had that thought, I saw in my inbox a scholarship for learning how to become a coach. Hmm. And I'm like, well. If this Google thing isn't disturbing, I don't know because you're not, you're now in my head, <laughs> right? And so I'm like, let me apply for the scholarship. Let me see what happens. No, how did like, it knew what you were like searching and like maybe you emailed and I hadn't searched though. That was the weird thing. This was like literally in my head. It was literally in my head. I'm like, that's really bizarre. Okay, but I'll take that as a sign and um, a sign. I, will, I will operate on said sign. I'm all about serendipity, so you never exactly. Know. So the person who actually ran this particular program had been part of this peer counseling program before I got the scholarship. I'm like, all right then. So uh, I, so I, that was it. I, I did the program. I never looked back. Many of my peers actually said, oh, Michelle's the real deal. She is good at this. She like, she is good. <laughs> People want to work with her. And I was like, well, that's exciting. So for actually many years until like January of last year, we're 23. January. Yeah, it's confusing these days. I know. January 22, I stopped yeah. teaching. I stopped teaching part time, but I, I, but I taught and was building my business at the same time, and oh, that wow. completely pulled me out of this tailspin. Yeah. It actually gave me. It actually gave me. So there are a few things. There are a few things, right? That number one, if I'm going to be doing both of these things, I have to take exquisite care of myself. So, I got you know I got back into the habit of making sure I was exercising regularly. Um, I, 
you know, I prayed the rosary. I got back into praying the rosary. You know, like regardless of what people think religiously, for me, that was a very, it's a very grounding ritual. And over time, I started to add more and more ways that I really take care of myself, including like making sure I get enough sleep, all of the things, right? Um, so that I stopped drinking, I, right? I'll like, cause I, cause I realized, wait, wait a minute. I had a glass of wine with dinner last night, but here I am up at two in the morning and I'm cranky, <laughs> right? No, 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 no. Like sleep, alcohol, sleep. Okay. I'm yeah, gonna, it's like, that, like alcohol, like <clears throat> when you have sleep, when you've had alcohol, it's not really contributing to your regenerative cycle. No, it's a stimulant. It, it, it starts as a depressant and then it becomes a stimulant because it's all sugar. And I'm like, yeah, no, you gotta go. Yes. <laughs> you got I mean, to go. Sugar, sugar. Oh, I mean, all right, there's for another comment. And, and that's a whole other, don't get me started. But like, <laughs> I mean, I hadn't, I actually, for the first eight years of my son's life, I didn't drink um, because I mean, I nursed for a while and then I hated the smell of it. Like I just didn't. And then like, true story, I was finishing, it was like the worst semester of my life. I'm sitting here like, trying to get this damn thing done so I could defend in, in, in January. And I would like I'd be working at 10 o'clock and I'm like, I just want a martini. Like, and I was like, okay, you're not gonna have a martini now. We're not gonna do it. We're gonna have your martini. Okay. <laughs> so, but, and, and it was actually right after I finished that I actually had started drinking. I <laughs> like, just wanted that martini. That um, but martini. Just went with, and yeah, it, it turned into two that night, but I never actually had one again, which is good. Um, but, <laughs> But but and then it's the problem. Well, it turns really into good. too many, right? So well, well, two was far too many for me. But yeah. um, but I but I stopped drinking. I actually, you know, I started meditating much more regularly. Like all of the habits that I need to do these two huge jobs and raise a child, all really came together. And you know, you know, and and it was my coach. And part of it is that I've always been about helping. I mean, both scholars and lawyers. Our lives are, I mean, I've lived both of them, right? Our lives are stunningly similar, right? And um, when you do marketing, you can't use the same language, but it's really, really similar. We work far too many hours, um, you know, for doing really, really hard work, and we put the work before ourselves. Now, I don't know how you're going to write a book and not get any sleep, right? And so, like, I... I, I just that you that's not doable, right? I don't know how you serve client clients zealously mm-hmm. and not sleep. Like that just that doesn't you can't make good you can't make good calls on what to do in that state, right? So I but I didn't want to I wasn't gonna grind and build a business. That doesn't like that's not that's not what I want my clients to do. And I, I believe in walking my talk. Like, what's the success? Well, Michelle's not strung out. This is there's something to be said for that, right? A strung out coach ever, right? Like, you you kind of have to walk your you, you have, have to walk, walk your talk. I really, I, I very, very firmly believe that, and and that, and actually becoming a coach has actually helped me. It's like it saved me to a very to a huge mm. degree. It, you know, that really saved me. But there are many other people's lives that have benefited because. I can hold the line there. So what did your coaching program look like? Um, it was, <laughs> this is cute. It was by phone. It was before people were using Zoom all the time. Like people had Zoom, but that was a weird thing. Um, so it was yeah. the, we'd call in by, by phone into a conference call. I remember those. Yeah, those were the olden days. But yeah, I kind of remember. 
was like, like <laughs> mid 20, the, the 20, 25, the 2010s. It's kind of funny. It wasn't that long ago, but it right. Really it was long it. It's it feels like forever. It feels like forever ago. Right. Yeah. But, um, we would, we would do things that way. And then we would pair up by phone <laughs> to do our practice sessions with each yeah, other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's how you did it. So, okay. So you've ultimately got certified as a coach <clears throat> and then you started resistant vision. So tell me a little bit about resistant vision. So resistant, so part of resistant vision is in part, the name of it comes from my own academic work. Um, my work focuses on the descendants of a runaway of runaway communities in Jamaica. They were all over the hemisphere, but I'm not going to do the history lecture today. Um, but uh, but in Jamaica, they were descendants of the um, of these runaway slave communities that actually were some of the first freed people in the Western Hemisphere. And Jamaica tried to get rid of them by by legislative fiat. I don't know. We've not seen that before, have we? Here in the United States, never. Um, sorry, I digress. Um, <laughs> So they, um, but they tried to get rid of them by net legislative fiat and they're like, no, <laughs> we're not doing this. Um, and what was fascinating with me about the way that they resisted, I mean, the first time they resisted by warfare, but um, after 1840s, they actually were very clear about the goals that they were trying to get and all of their resistance served those goals. And that's, that's what fueled the name of it for me. Like there are lots of things that we want to change in the world how do we make sure that our actions that are resisting the present so we can create what we want are actually very in line with that, right? I, I like my favorite thing to pick on is gay marriage. Now I'm gay married, I will admit to that, but how did we as a community pick the most conservative institution to move our liberation forward? That still doesn't make sense to me. And the promise of GLBTQ communities is that we conform very close relationships with people for our own well-being, health, and longevity. That's the promise of it. That doesn't have to be two people locked away in a house forever and ever. Amen. Right. Serving each other's needs. That's just, that. There's something that strikes me as absurd, completely absurd about that. Like you can build community a very different way, and we lost that potential, right? So, our resistant actions didn't actually serve an overall vision of what our communities need, right? And 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 so anyhow, I could go on with the example, but. No, I love, I love naming stories because I'm a trademark lawyer, right? So yes. it's always good to know the origin, the origin stories. Of, of exactly. Stories. So for me, it's like, it's not just about, I guess I want people to sleep well and eat well, but for what? <laughs> right? Deeper. Like, right. I, I don't want you to do this so you can work better. I'm, I'm tired. I'm actually, I literally write in my newsletter. I'm tired of writing about public, about productivity. <laughs> like I am sick, tired of it. I, I actually want you to do this because you're you, because you are valuable on this earth because of you. You don't have to, if you never lifted another finger, if you never wrote another word, if you never served another client, that would be fine. You do it because you're you. And by the way, there's a climate emergency. <laughs> and I think the way, and, and I actually think that we're not going to be able to grind our way to end the climate emergency. We're actually going to like, if I, I, the thing that gets robbed from us both in the legal industry and in academia is our pleasure, is our connection to pleasure. And if we don't reconnect with pleasure, we're going to keep doing the same old stupid things that end up with, you know, 80 degrees in the middle of April in New York City. I'm like sweating right now. Um, so, so this is, this is really interesting. Um, 
because I thought I forgot where I was going to go with that. I guess my comment really wasn't that interesting, but I think that's cool that you're you're doing that and helping people realize that there's so much more to to life, right? Than producing a contract or billing billing more hours because you know, like for example, yesterday and see here's me. I don't sometimes I don't walk. I don't walk the talk. Like I got home and I felt. It's not about perfection, right? We all have this, right? I got home and I was like, oh, like I don't feel like I was very productive. And then I sat down and I I just thought about like what all I'd produced. And I was like, holy crap. Like I was really on fire, like, but I was still being very harsh. Um, And, and this, you know, it kind of makes me think like what, and I never really thought about it this way, but I do put a lot of value on me not as me, but as what I can produce for other people. So I think it's really interesting that you're kind of digging into the root of that with your clients. Like you're not just teaching them how to be productive, but it's like you're kind of helping them establish their their why and like what their value is as a human. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think this is particularly important I mean, we're living, we live in societies that extract, it's okay for our ourselves to provide pleasure for other people. Mm-hmm. It is a radical act for us to have pleasure for ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Or there's to a, leisure, to, to be leisurely. Exactly. There's a woman who wrote, she, she her handle on um, Twitter is the Nat Ministry. What and is she that? Taught the Nat Ministry. Okay, I'm gonna have to find her. I like I like her already. She actually wrote she wrote a book about what does she call the book? Um, Rest is resistance or something like that. And I have the book. I'm going to read it. I promise. But that's my whole point. Like if we can't if we can't take these are the most fundamental human parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Like we get to rest. We get to enjoy the company of other people. Maybe we're just yakking it up with friends. Maybe we're having multiple orgasms. Maybe we're having a wonderful bike ride on, you know, somewhere, right? I don't care how we do this, but we get to have that for ourselves. It is part of being human. And what okay. these agencies have done, has yeah. taken, that's, that's the first thing they take. That's the first thing. Maybe they don't take it. Maybe we give it, but one way or another, we, we, get, we need to take that back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll have more time for um, leisure and pleasure and maybe more, um, I guess, maybe less mental health challenges, which I think some of the mental health challenges lead to feelings of not being worthy of leisure or pleasure. Do you think like the integration of more technology and AI is going to help move us towards the ability to have more of that or I suspect it's not like, so the, the problem I love now I'm a huge disclaimer here. I love me some technology. If you think you're going to take this from me, you're going to take it out of my cold dead hands. I just want to be really clear about that. Yeah. Right. Like your life is in that phone, right? Like you're, I don't, I have no identity without that phone. I just, I don't, I, that I just don't even know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm doing. I don't know how to do it. Okay. Okay. I'd be very clear about that. <laughs> With that said, I am not met a piece of technology that hasn't actually extended our work hours. Mm. That's a good point. Right? That- I mean, I, this is wonderful. Yeah. And the problem with it is that I can do work with a client at midnight. Mm-hmm. But is that wonderful, right? 
I'm I'm sarcastic, but yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. but right, like that, like that, that is a that's problematic. Yeah, I think if we're gonna, here's the challenge with our mental health problems: we spend so much time up here, and I love our minds, and they're really wonderful, and I don't, and I don't wish them any less than what we've learned and what we're able to do, but we have to connect our minds back with our bodies before we have a, a, a like before we have any shot at actually making real moves on the mental health process, right? We, the mental health is, we're not gonna be able to talk our way out of this. That's why thats why talk therapy is so slow. It's effective, but it's slow. It's years, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years later, people actually make progress. Lawyers, the way that the industry is running us, we don't have 10 years, <laughs> we need it done immediately, right? And that's why, that's why I'm such a fan of modalities that really enable us to connect body and mind, right? People tell, I've not done an EMDR. I don't, eye movement, something, something. Um, I, like they, they talk, but the why it's effective is because it connects your body and mind, right? When I work with clients, I use emotional freedom techniques, which is tapping. Like if you see people doing this stuff, it's, we're tapping. It's something that connects people's bodies and minds. I had a client a couple of weeks ago, she came on the phone upset, upset, upset. She was on a job hunt and people completely overrode any any feedback she had for that. And I was just like, I was like, you know what? Um, just touch, we're gonna just touch that point and let's just breathe, breathe. And she's like, oh, I can feel the I can feel the carpet under my feet. Yeah. Get back in your body, get back in your body. Like if we can't, if we cannot connect mind and body, we don't have a path to pleasure. Mm. So what do your typical clients look like? Like you just mentioned this, this client who came to you, um, someone I, I presume is already a client. Who, what are, who are the typical people that you work with on these different modalities and, and things like tapping to help, to help us connect our mind with our body a little better? Um, the, we, we are go-getters. Um, we love our work, right? Like this is not, this is not about bashing our work or industries. Like we love our work. We love our industries. We have something to say. We want to make an impact. And we are maybe not at the end of our rope, but you can see that there is an end to the rope and you don't want to end up there, right? Because the end of the rope is probably too late in some ways, right? Like you, you're trying to, you're trying not to get there and there's got to be another way. And when people come to me, they're coming to me at that point. Mm. Like, I want to accomplish this. I do not want a heart attack at the end of it. <laughs> I, you know, I want to accomplish this. I, I would prefer not to have diabetes when I'm done. Right. Yeah. Um, like that's, those are the people who are coming to me. Awesome. And they don't necessarily even know. I mean, that's my job, right? That's, that's why I get all the trainings and all the things, right? Like they don't even necessarily know that they need to reconnect mind and body or all, any of this, right? I bring that to them and they're like, oh, I feel a lot better. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> they don't know what they don't know, right? Exactly. A lot of exactly. times, I think lawyers can be kind of some of the most resistant to alternative types of treatments and, you know, therapy and things like that because, you know, we're we're just so analytical, right? We don't, exactly. we don't allow ourselves to kind of like take time to meditate Exactly. The rose, like whatever your thing is, like we don't allow ourselves the time to do that. So exactly. I, I would think that working with lawyers could be some of your your more challenging clients. I know I love us, and we can be really challenging. But yeah. like what? But the like you know, it doesn't take a lot. Like 
Yeah. I don't, I don't spend hours and hours tapping with people. The other thing is that tapping is really, it's a fast modality, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you give me 20 minutes and you'll be like, whoa, <laughs> like what? Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm not the person, the person who sat down here is not the person who is here now. It doesn't take longer for you. Like this is a different thing. Yeah. It's fast. And, it's not, and it doesn't take that long for you to go back to work and go, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't, the nice thing about coaching is like we figure out how to get from point A to point B. But the problem is that you can't get from point A to point B if you're in fight, flight, or freeze. Right. Which is how we are a lot of the time. Exactly. So I'm like, let's, let's, let's stop the fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. I get it. You're here for a good reason. Let's, let's pull ourselves out of that. Let's get the and cortisol then, levels down a little bit here. Please stop the cortisol levels. Yes. <laughs> Yes, the cortisol levels can be lit. Let's just put it that way. Yes. So, Michelle, listen, I want to be very respectful of your time. I've so loved having you on here, learning all about you and your journey. And I I just, I've got just two more quick questions. Absolutely, go ahead. The, The the first one is, what is next for you over the next year and Resistant Vision? So um, I'm I'm doing a 50 state virtual. Let <laughs> me clear about this: a virtual 58 58 cool. 50 state tour of doing my workshop, my EFT workshop for bar associations. That's awesome. Because that's- where do lawyers gather? Uh, bar associations. That's yeah. where we hang out, right? So yeah. um, I'm actually I'm doing one for the New York City Bar Association okay. on. May 4th at 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's called Put the Pleasure in Your Practice. If you want to give me the link to that, I'll put it in the show notes. In the- awesome. I actually don't have a link, but you. If, but if you go to the New York City Bar Association, you can register there for okay. it. Okay. Um, so I'm doing that next week there. I'm going to be doing one in D.C. in June, and I'm going to be scheduling them from state after state after state. So if you run a wellness yeah. committee or if you're what would you say? <laughs> Said forty-eight to go. <laughs> forty-eight to go, right? Well, I'm working on those. Um, but if you if you are running a wellness committee and, and in a bar association or the legal assistance program, I think it's a little late then, but that's good. We'll we'll grab you there. Um, but like, yeah, contact me because I want I want to set up something. I, you know, like and if you're not New York or DC, we got a whole country to do. So like, you know, talk to me. Let's make this happen. That's that's actually what I want to do. Is just to really bring this to as many lawyers as possible so we I'm, can find, so we can have a different way. I love your, I love the 50 state virtual tour. I think that's so brilliant. <laughs> so my next question is where can people find you? You can find me at resistantvision.com. And you can see her, the resistant vision underneath um, her um, name there. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we will, I'll just put um, the link to it in the show notes if I have not already. But um, thank you again so much for hanging out with me. Oh, Susie, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. This was such a pleasure. So much fun. Yes. If you enjoyed this show and you'd like to stay updated on future Legally Blissed content, including when we go live in the conference room and additional interviews, conversations with women lawyers, make sure you hit the subscribe button and that little bell so you don't miss any content about how you can become a more fierce and powerful advocate like Michelle, not just for others, but for yourself and other women lawyers. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and Michelle and have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. 
Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Blissed. If you love listening to this episode as much as we loved producing it for you, be sure to share this episode with two or three female attorneys who inspire you. And of course, be sure to find me on Instagram. Just follow Susie Hickson. That's S-U-Z-I-H-I-X-O-N. I'll see you next time.